Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Welcome to another Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is me, Lean, from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, James and Paul will be discussing the 1-1 draw against Norwich at Carrow Road. Yeah, another disappointing afternoon, especially after losing two more players, well, at least two, two or three players through injury. And um, another point when we really wanted more than that. But, um, yeah, it'll all be discussed in the podcast. Quick intro for me today. I've got stuff to do, so enjoy the podcast. And we'll be back after the Sunderland match. And when your fears subside and shadows still remain, I know that you can love me when there's no one left to blame. So never mind the darkness. We still can find a way because nothing lasts forever, even cold November rain. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner, and I strongly recommend that you do, especially especially with the hot takes headed your way in this podcast. It is just me and Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pausing In My Pants. It's the forces of good versus the forces of evil, positive versus negative. It's going to be exciting. If nothing else, it's going to result in a ton of cringeworthy arguments that will all be edited out, left only with the intro music and the outro music. So let's introduce Paul at this time. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! Yeah, that's right. That's your Captain Positive. <laughs> He will start be co-piloting. Good. It's yes. Yeah, start as you mean to go on. Um, hey, hey, can I can I pick the negative team this time? No, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> finally, finally, negativity gets to win. I get to win an argument um, if it's not edited out. Um, Elliot's yeah, so, deep pit of despair opens yeah. before us. The pit of despair. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Uh, November's over. We we did come away with two points. That's two more than we had going into November, all you negative Nellies. Um, we picked up one at Norwich, um, which is one less point than injuries suffered, um, which, you know, we'll talk about all of that. But let's go to the game first. We're going to talk about Alexis Sanchez's injury. We're going to talk about Koscielny's injury. We're going to talk about Santi Cazorla's injury. Actually, I said one more injury. It's two less than the inch. Anyway, um, so Paul, let's just start with the game itself, and we'll sort of look at the larger implications first. So, you know, this is the period of the schedule we're supposed to be picking up points. West Brom, Norwich, Sunderland, you know, this is where you consolidate at the top so that when the fixtures get tricky, you know, maybe you can you can tolerate a draw here or there. Or you don't have to beat City. Um, it hasn't panned out that way, and... It was, it was a game that maybe you know the optimism might have been there with with Ramsey coming back. We did score first. How how did you perceive the way the game was going um, in the first half in particular when you know it was a little bit fractious? There, there was a lot of hard fouling. The, the conditions weren't great. But did did you see any fluency or cohesion to the play, or did it just feel scrappy to you? Uh, I thought the first. I don't know what it was, 30 minutes up until the goal. I thought that was pretty good. I mean, I think if you divide the game in three, <laughs> what is it, stanzas? Stanzas. Yeah, yeah, stanza. The first cadenza, chrysanthemum, was was pretty decent. I think uh, when you compare it to the other two um, stanzas, 
Uh, you can see they got their money's worth out of the 15 minutes on the flight, but it wore off just after that goal. So, uh, I mean, there was a. You go back and look at it. Sorry, sorry to get you all riled up there. Uh, I'm going to be riled. Yeah. <laughs> you go back and look at it, and the first. I think the first 30 minutes stands up pretty well. There's a lot of good play. Alexis, sorry to mention him, uh, involved in much of it. Cutback passes, clever passing, has a couple of good shots on goal. Uh, we look pretty lively. I mean, not brilliant, don't get me wrong, but pretty decent. It looked like a promised week. It could be a pretty good game for us. Uh, obviously, they were sitting pretty deep. They were pretty physical. Conditions were shite by all accounts. I mean, they were fine on my sofa. I had the heater on. I mean, don't be worrying about me. I'll, I'll be fine. Uh, it was actually pretty good weather in Chicago. I don't know how it was up in Minneapolis, wherever you are. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah. Um, so conditions on my side were very good, but apparently at the game, <laughs> um, lots of rain, wind, blustery. So didn't make it too easy. I think they did pretty well the first 30 minutes. Um, and it was a cracking goal, and it looked like uh, – I think we would have felt robbed if we hadn't got a goal at that point because we were significantly the better ta- side. And uh, unfortunately now i got to go, so I've pretty much got to wrap up the pod right okay. now. Okay, yeah, well, and, uh, that's it. Good. Yeah. Great to have you on. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. There there were periods of some really good build-up play where it looked like we were getting on top of the match, and, and I thought that there were some decent opportunities. Um, the the frustrating thing is Orbino on Twitter, who tweets out a lot of Arsenal stats, Optus stats, um, tweeted out that I think 47% of our goals conceded in the Premier League had come in the last 15 minutes of the first half. Now it's 50% because we conceded again in the last 15 minutes of the first half, and I was going back and forth with Tim Stillman about, you know, what the issue is because I've been a big believer that our main problem is a lack of potency. But he made the fair point that, you know, against West Brom, against teams like Norwich, you get a one-goal lead, you should be able to hold on to that and make that stand up. Is there something you saw with our defending or something you're seeing with our defending that's worrying you? Or is that statistic that I quoted more endemic of a lack of focus and concentration as the, as the half winds to a close? Well, I think we are inconsistent in the sense that we are sometimes good on a run of games defensively. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you don't win whatever it was, 25 out of 26 when you go ahead if you're shit at defending. We were on a great run. Yeah, Yeah. we were on a great run of that. Um, And and the last two matches have kind of gone gone back the other way now. Yeah, that's not because we were beaten. I mean, we were beating people three and five, one or or three zero, but mostly it wasn't. So we were actually doing some defending, but we have in phases been very susceptible to the cross and to the set piece this year. We've had periods where we've been good on set pieces, a run of games. So it seems to, you know, I would say we're really inconsistent defensively, but in runs, um. Now, this game's a little different. Uh, I mean, it is and it isn't because they could have scored a couple more too, it has to be said. But, I mean, the goal, you got to say, I, I don't know when the last time uh, Gabrielle played for us was. It feels like it was a month ago. And, I mean, it was very much... Uh, I mean, we could have put more pressure on the on the, the pass into... Uh, what was the big lump up front? Anyway, oh, who Who cares? Uh, hang on, I've almost got his name. It'll come to me. Um, but, I mean, Gabriel was clearly... The gap between the centre-backs looked wrong. Gabriel looked wrong. And then clearly, as he made the challenge, you could see he was the wrong side of him and behind him. He just let it get away from him. So you could put that one moment 
down to a... He had a couple of moments like that, though, in the game where he got bailed out. Yeah, he did. Um, it, wa- it wasn't a great game for him, and I guess you could put some of that down to rustiness. But, you know, the overall, I also thought he, he wasn't protected very well. That pass that came in for their goal, yeah. I mean, you can't allow them to play a ball straight through the middle of your back four to within, what, eight yards of goal to a striker yeah. who can just turn and fire. I mean, that, that pass has to be denied. Yeah, um, and Adrian Clark with his breakdown, um, I, I couldn't stomach watching the whole game again, I have to say. But uh, oh, I, d- I did manage to watch the breakdown. And certainly one of the things he highlighted was that lack of intensity, especially in stopping crosses and through passes and stuff. When we just, you know... You, you can't step off that extra yard. You just end up basically escorting the player around the place. I mean, so mm-hmm. some of the crosses they put in, if we'd not had our defenders anywhere, it wouldn't have made any difference to check. It would have been just them putting in a cross to their player and check yeah. doing his best against it. And there were there were too many moments like that. The goal was effectively that. We didn't put any real pressure on the passer and not much pressure on the scorer. So... You know, what, what I mean, are we doing is there? Is this a case of, of, you know, we talk about spine being so important in English football, and some people say yeah, that's a nonsense, and some people say, no, that, that's a really important thing. And, you know, Gabriel comes in for Kshelny, Flamini comes in for Coughlin, Giroud had an utterly forgettable game, and, and you wind up looking at it, and the spine did not look particularly effective or strong uh, against Norwich yesterday. Um, I think that's far- right. Uh, um, yeah. Maybe we'll talk about Flamini. I thought, apart from two moments, none of which were catastrophic, one of them could have been uh, for the penalty, I thought he had a very good game. I mean, not you know, as his lawyer in his defense, <laughs> right. the he's not completely shit defense. I actually might uh, might drop the manslaughter plea and go and go for innocent. I thought it was actually pretty good in this game. Uh, I, I don't think he was pretty good. I think he didn't he didn't have a calamitous game, but you can see there was not the control in midfield, you know, both defensively and uh in a, in the build up. I, I just thought he was kind of anonymous. Um, you know, and compared yeah. to Coughlin, who's so busy and so influential. There's a statistic that I retweeted and I, I know that when you do game stats as opposed to per ninety stats, it can make a big difference. But the statistics that that I was tweeting out, and I'm going to see if I can just find this real quick. Um, yeah, here we go. Coughlin versus Flamini. Tackles per game, 3.2 to 1.4. Interceptions per game, 2.7 to 1. Blocks per game, 0.3 to 0.2. Pass accuracy, 91.5 to 87.5. Dribbles, 1.1 to 0.4. So it's just at every level of his involvement, both dribbling, passing, blocking, intercepting, and tackling, he's just a lot less busy and a lot less influential. Yeah, but to be fair, that's true of every other, you know, Coquelin's head and shoulders above everybody statistically. He's a very, very busy DM, which maybe to some extent has compensated for him being youthful and maybe not quite as wise as a DM. I thought... You know, uh, we're going to have to diverge on Flamini. I thought he had a very solid game, a very good game. Uh, I thought he played his hand well. I don't think Cazorla going backwards in the second half slowly over time would have done him any favors. Losing Alexis didn't help anybody in terms of our fluency and our ability to to play it out through midfield. I thought he did pretty well. Yeah, I would say 
ultimately, right, this is what happens when... This is what happens when you bring in replacement level players versus your starting 11 is it's not so much that they're crap. It's just that they're not as good. And when you have that decrease in quality at every position at center forward, at defensive midfield, at center back, the overall net effect is a drop in the quality of play. Let's talk about real quick, the goal we did score. And then I want to get to some of the players uh, who struggled and then some of the injuries as well. So first of all, the goal one of the things that's been so such a joy to see, and unfortunately we're not going to be seeing it for a while now, is how Ozil and Alexis have stepped up and really borne the responsibility of being the best players on the pitch. And when you have Flamini and an out-of-form and injured Cazorla and a just-returning Ramsey and a, an out-of-form Giroud, you don't have a lot of great quality out there, but Alexis and Ozil really shine. And any surprise that it's them creating the goal again, that is... Alexis summed up perfectly, right? He works his ass off to make that interception, to nick the ball away after the bad uh, Ruddy. Is John Ruddy? Is that who it was? Yeah. Right, well, John Ruddy. He, a nightmare. Um, uh, kick right up the middle of the pitch. Poor distribution. Alexis is on it in a heartbeat. Great pass to Ozil. Tremendous chipped finish. Is Is that really... Again, an example of why you spend the money on these big players and why you go up in quality because they do take the moment when it comes to them. They do step up and make the difference, and that's just one more example of it. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, as I mentioned, Alexis had a couple of those cutback passes and clever little maneuvers. You can certainly see why a manager would be tempted. We'll get into this in a bit. You could certainly see why a manager would be tempted to keep playing the bastard. I mean, mm-hmm. for a guy who was knackered, injury aside, he was incredibly lively and sharp. Uh, you could, again, not wishing to get into it too early, you could be confused for thinking he's absolutely flying in and in great form because form-wise, uh, you know, the last game in this, he's been superb. And the that interplay with Ozil, I mean, he uh, pinches the ball off the, the Norwich player immediately does the cut back to Ozil because he's, he's, you know, he's read the play. Ozil, with that lazy stride, runs forward onto the ball, and I'm thinking, oh, he's let it overrun, but he hasn't really. It's just the fact that Ozil never looks like he's going 100%, and he has that beautiful dink over the, the keeper, and he's just he's on fire. I was saying to James that uh, all this talk about Ozil, uh, you know, now showing up to score goals this year, when I'd uh, averaged it out, he was actually on track to do about the same as last year because he'd, he'd had a smaller number of games and right, it was right. like three goals in the season and blah, blah, blah. When you average it out, his run rate was about the same. But, of course, small sample size, so one goal like this, he's now 33% <laughs> more Right. Well, he's, he's also taking up more advanced positions. He he's making an effort to get on the end of runs to not just see himself as a provider but yeah. to see himself as a goal scorer. And, you know, I, I had tweeted just before the goal came, there's a lot of good build-up play here, and we're starting to play the ball well, but I can't see where the goal is coming yeah. from. Um, and it really has become a case that if it's not coming from Ozil and Alexis, you just don't see where it's coming from. And part of that yeah. is that Giroud, you know, really, really playing poorly now. And I think I think it's Tim Stillman who once said he thinks goals are overrated, and I kind of gave him a hard time about it. But it does seem that if Giroud isn't getting on the end of a set piece, He's not doing anything right now. What did you think of his performance? And then uh, I'll let you guess what I thought of his performance. Um, so I guess 
Uh, I was thinking about it this morning. I think I'd almost call it open play goal scoring from Giroud is very poor. Uh, you know, open play being, you know, to your feet, everything but crosses and, which I know are open play, and set pieces. And, you know, he's just, he, it's not that he will never score and does never score, but he just doesn't give you enough. And uh, I, I wonder as well, you, you see with the best goals scores and you see it with Ozil he has like uh you remember Nadia Kamenech and uh and some of them young gymnasts uh, I had a thing for Nadia Kamenech when I was 14 and moving was 14. on yeah anyway <laughs> Ozil has that incredible flexibility the, you know the way he he swivels and and makes a pass a cutback pass the like of which you can't see to me Giro is the opposite there's a great deal of kind of rigidity in his body a kind of a um not even talking about speed just his ability to kind of twist and contort i wonder if that isn't part of the problem because he had the near post shot i think it was onto his left foot that the commentator said it was on his right where it looked like a really good position and he really didn't get it that close and it's very often you see him in a good position where he doesn't seem to be able to swivel and contort his body like a a, a more flexible, nimble striker is. And I know it's a bit kind of disappearing up your backside when you don't know anything about football in reality. But I do wonder if part of Giroud's issue is he d- for those uh, those near impossible goals or kind of impossible goals, let alone normal play, he's just... He, he doesn't have the speed and he doesn't have that flexibility... Uh, really cuts down the kinds of goals he can score beyond the normal. And he doesn't have the pace to get normal striker goals most of the time. Um, I just To think me, he the- also he doesn't use his physicality. I mean, he's great. Yeah. You know, he gets on the ends of crosses, but for a guy who is big and, and should be dominant, he doesn't use his physicality. He's dispossessed too easily. Um, uh, he know, he be, was- I think he must be very frustrated because I think the issue with his fig- physicality is he's up with guys who are every bit as physical as him and they're probably faster. Physicality for a striker without speed, it's almost like you're playing into their advantage. But, but you know what he doesn't? He doesn't have the mindset of a physical striker in the sense that Olivier Giroud never saw a flick on or layoff or one-two opportunity that he didn't fall in love with. There were... A couple occasions, and he didn't touch the ball a whole lot, so only a couple occasions, where he received the ball in the box, maybe you know, 14, 15 yards out, with a little bit of space in his back to goal. And the thought wasn't, I'm going to pin my man behind me and I'm going to turn and create a scoring opportunity. It was to lay it off. And a lot of times it was to no one or back into traffic. Um, no shots on target, no key passes, four unsuccessful touches, dispossessed twice, 65% shooting, uh, pardon me, passing percentage, and just two shots in the game, period, none on target, as I mentioned. It's a poor game. He's not involved enough. He's not imposing himself. And the one thing everybody always says about Giroud is, well, he's he's a pivot for the uh, for the attack. You know, he comes, he can drop a little deeper and control the ball and lay it off and, and give it to other people to run in behind. He He's not doing that right now. He's not creating his own shooting opportunities right now. He does have a, a set-piece threat and a threat from crosses, but ultimately, he's not giving you what a stri- what you need from a striker, right? I mean, is this is this really a problem situation? I mean, he's 29 years old. This should be he should really be coming into his own. And if anything, his form is is really flagging at this point. 
It is concerning. You know, uh, a T.O., a T.O., my kingdom for a T.O. Uh, yeah, give, I think give, all of us at this point. Yeah. You know? Um, to be fair to him, I mean, we banged in a lot of crosses yesterday. I think only, I think, uh, think again it was Adrian Clark said only five of them connected. Uh, Monreal, who's normally very good at putting in crosses, apparently was particularly negligent for banging them in without connecting. Nine crosses, one accurate cross. Ozil, yeah. five, two accurate crosses. Ox, four, one accurate cross. Three yeah. with no accuracy from Ramsey. I mean, now, th- there, were a lot, there were a lot of efforts. Conditions wouldn't have helped that, but they should also have created yeah. a bit of chaos, chaos in the box. Maybe the fact that it was only we only had the one striker going in for headers. Uh, you know, Campbell had a couple of goes at times, but being a midget, that wouldn't help too much. Maybe uh, chaos helps when you ha- get a couple of big boys into the box, and we only had the one, and they had them well pinned down with their center backs. I mean, that to me is always the classic with Giroud when he's banging up against two center backs who have enough pace for him. He's basically neutralized for many of those games. Well, to me, he also, I mean, he lets, what, what, it, what it does too, unfortunately, is it allows a, a weaker team to not feel as pinned back as they might otherwise against a team like ours because they know if they play five yards further up the pitch, they can keep us a little bit further from their goal and also they're not going to get turned. No one's going to get in behind them. Um, you know, Watching Giroud run onto those balls into space, there's so much time for the for the opposition defense to, you know, reconfigure and and compose themselves and get in a position. I, I don't want to just pick on him, but it was a game where, again, I think we're starting to be in a situation where, without Alexis, and, and to some extent Ozil. I mean, I don't want to play overplay Ozil's goal contribution at this point, but you really don't see where our goal threat comes from. One of the problems we're going to face so, now... Uh, oh, go ahead. I'd just like to make a quick comment. Uh, I generally, that's my feeling on it. But on the other hand, if we played for 90 minutes like we played for the first 30 minutes, there were goals in that. So there is a way of... It, there you know, was great build-up. But again, who you know? That's, that's where I would take issue with it only is a sense that you can play really well all you want. But you know, if you and I are, are the ones in the front three, like we're not going to score goals, I think... Who who is going to step up in that big moment and and make a difference? No matter how well, well, San, well Sanchez, you know, Sanchez and, and Ozil are Sanchez are and Ozil, that's pretty good. Well, that's and, it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there, there's yeah, that's that's kind of pretty much the, it. I, I mean, mean, look to to win a title, right? You need a guy who's going to bang in twenty five goals or so, and uh, then you need a couple other guys that are going to get you twelve to fifteen. And and I don't. Where's that guy? You know, where are either of those guys? I don't. <laughs> so. Generally, you do, but there are different ways. There's different ways to skin a cat. Are, I agree more with your statement that beyond Ozil and Sanchez, where is it coming from? I don't think Giro needs 25 goals. I think if he puts in a solid 15, and we get well, Theo I agree. Back if he put he in put, a solid 15, yeah. that would be that would be great. And yeah. I know he's got you know whatever nine already or seven already, whatever it is in the league. But Ramsey bangs I mean, in if a he, few. You can spread it around. The problem is we're not. It's basically we're not. Sanchez we're not. and Ozil. Yeah, so. and and I mean you know you look at a team like City and you say all right, Cunaguero is capable of getting twenty five, but you can get fifteen from Yaya Torre and you can get fifteen from David yeah. Silva and you can probably get another twelve or fifteen from Sterling and De Bruyne. You know if you look at Chelsea, it was Costa getting them the twenty and Hazard getting them another fifteen or eighteen. And you know if you look at at Manchester United. 
their big problem, they can't score goals. And if they could, you know, you'd probably consider them a real title threat. And I just think when I watch us play, even when we're playing really well, if Sanchez isn't the one scoring the goal, I don't, I don't feel fully confident that we're going to get a goal from somewhere. And that's, that's what worries me. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Santi Cazorla though, because he's such an important part of what we want to do. There's a question of whether he really, the, the, Pairing with Flamini works the way it does with Coughlin, but now there's the issue of the injury as well. What do you make of how Cazorla's been playing, how he played on the day, and you know, what what it means to how we have to reshuffle with him out at least for a game or two and who knows how much longer? Yeah. I mean, I've seen various talk over the last few weeks about Santi's form, and um, I mean, I think it's a, it's... It's hard to say. Certainly, he's not in his top form, but his his bottom form is still pretty damn good. You know, he does, he's a very consistent player. There isn't a huge variability. Uh, his first half, I thought it was very good. I mean, he had a couple of mazy runs through midfield, one in particular that set us up. Yeah, he with had a, that one magic moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, rumors of his decline or poor form, I think, might might have been slightly overstated. That said. The second half, I, I mean, I think you can rationalize what went on there. Uh, we did name the four key players that we needed to keep fit to really have a run this year, and three of them are ex-parrots at this point. We've, we've lost. Yeah, in that conversation, we mentioned Theo, Sanchez, Coughlin, and Cazorla. I thought um, it was, I believe, well, or it was Ozil. Ozil. Sanchez, Theo, Coughlin, Sanchez, Ozil, and Coughlin, and yeah. three of them are gone. But... Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a question of him playing terribly. I just think it's the point that the the partnerships don't seem to function as well. I thought, you know, Ramsey, who had played really well prior to his injury, forming sort of a fourth option in midfield, was a lot less effective this game. And you could forgive him for not being fantastic right after injury, but. I think all season his contribution maybe has been underappreciated. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he's been playing well. Um, yeah, I mean, we have to remember, look, Though the expectation I with Ramsey. I think he has been. Uh, well, I wait mean, one second, just for a, a second, okay? We don't have to have a long I, conversation on it, but uh, I fought that battle long and hard. I don't think he started great. I thought his contribution was important early on. I thought he was playing really well, and I was going on and on about it just before he got injured. I think he was, look, I think he was doing really well in that role on the right in a capacity that we didn't have anyone else in the side who could who could do what he was doing. It depends what you're measuring Ramsey against. You know, I think when he had that purple patch where he was the best player in the Premier League, there was a lot of belief that that was a level he could achieve regularly and that he would kick on and become regularly among the best players in the Premier League. And he's not at that level, and he hasn't been at that level since then. And that's the disappointment for me. I'm not saying he's been bad. I'm saying candidate for player of the year Ramsey is not the Ramsey we've seen since then. Um, and I, some, I, I get his, he's not playing in his preferred position. I get but that. But part of his purple patchness is us filling in some gaps. I mean, there were times he was just playing pretty well, but scoring goals regardless. He wasn't brilliant the whole time. It was a purple patch because, regardless, he was banging in goals all over the place, even in his more mediocre games. On the other hand, this time round, playing on the right... You know, I'm well able to push the purple patch aside and just look at him in terms of his contribution. And I think he was getting vaguely Muller-esque. 
He was really, really good on the right. What he was doing made sense. He was very consistent. He was having an impact every game as the season went on. So uh, You have to I, chip in with some goals, though, right? I mean, if you're playing in the front three, mm, even if you're sort of forming a fourth midfield eventually, option, you've got, you got to finish chances and, and chip in with some goals. Yeah, I mean, that was certainly the piece that was missing, the goals piece. But, mm-hmm. again, goals are overrated. To, to a degree, goals are yeah. overrated. I mean, you know, I guess part of it is your worldview, right? Like, I look through the prism of Arsenal being goal shy and not having the goals in the side to win a title. That, you know, year in, year out, we see the teams that win the title have the best goal difference, but also they usually have the most goals scored. And we we have not been the team who scored the most goals in the league since, I believe, 2004. And it's no coincidence we haven't won the league since then. I just look at this squad and say, in Alexis, you may have a 20-goal scorer if he really hits form and isn't totally knackered. But I don't know that you have the guy who's going to chip in with the 12, with the 15 to support him or a couple of guys like that. Um, so, but, so let's but get that it, said, you know? I'll just make a quick point. We've given up a lot of points recently. And the real reason is we have let things that we had under our control slip away. I mean, well, the last two games, we had one nil leads against weaker sides, at sh- you know, to Tim Stillman's point you hold on to that and you yeah. make that stand up. You need to make that one nil when you have injuries up front and you're not at your best, you have to consolidate and make one nil away. Hold you do. up. And if you and played, played the last 60 minutes, like the first 30 minutes against Norwich, it probably would have been a non-issue. So it, it, while I agree in general with your point, we could win this league just doing what, just doing the better part of what we're doing without the dross that creeps in. I mean, we got tired yesterday, or whenever it was yesterday, yeah. Um, but there was no. But we real- looked rattled throughout periods of the game. It's it's not like they, you know, against West Brom there was sort of this freak couple of goals, yeah. and that was really the extent of their dominant period. But yeah, I mean, I mean, against Norwich they had us rattled at times, and they did. I, but we we'd I, had two injuries. You know, two well, key I get players. It, but, but that's so. Let's get into that. I mean, first of all, let's talk Sanchez and. You know, we, we could both probably stand here and grandstand about how bad it was when Alexis got pushed into the into the camera pit yeah. and how that should have been a red card. I assume there's no need for either of us to do that because we both agree it was terrible. It probably should have been a red card. It should be looked at by the FA. But do we need to say much more about that? Well, I'll say two quick things. If there's any discussion over the penalty that they didn't get, fuck them, karma. And then even if it was before the Sanchez push. Well, and no, second, I get it. They're both missed calls. Yeah, and and Debushi was out for nine months for a shove while he was in the air. Yeah. So it's a Arnautovic, big fucking yeah. deal. But mm-hmm. that's that's all I really want to say it about is, the Sanchez thing. It is, but again, everybody listening agrees. You yep. agree, I agree. I don't think, you know, it's it's a point of discussion because it's no. just so obvious. Yep. Um, so let's talk about Alexis. And the, the first thing we have to talk about, I mean, the manager after the match says the player the player didn't have anything on a scan that we were worried about, and he told me he was fine. So I played him. Now, he had mentioned earlier in the week that Alexis had a hamstring issue, and that now wasn't the time to rest him. And now he's going to be gone for a while with a hamstring issue. So the first question, we'll we'll talk about what it means, but first let's just address the manager. Is this a case where Arsene Wenger just has to be more conservative? And no matter what the player says here, he has an obligation to understand the, the risk and the danger and, and rest him. 
So uh, I might be a contrarian point here, so I'll keep it short. My biggest issue with, with Arson was him being so blabby. If you're thinking you might play him, keep your mouth shut about his hamstring because this is the kind of shit that happens afterwards. Um, I mean, the difficulties with discussing one-on-one injuries is, I would argue we, and certainly I don't have the background to make that assessment. Don't get me wrong, on the face of it, I'm going to agree with everything you have and might say about Alexis, but injuries are complex. What if his physios had said, we think he's okay, but if you're going to rest him, you need to rest him two or three weeks or it makes no difference. Now, I don't know that they said that. I've no idea what the discussions are because these are complex topics. But maybe the decisions aren't as binary as we think. Now, where I would end up probably 100% agreeing with you is in the bigger picture. If you take all of our injury problems, you know, I, I might even have argued... Well, maybe we're just being unlucky this season, except, as we know, we're unlucky every fucking season. And this was very predictable. And we all talked about it during the summer. And we hoped things had changed. And at the end of the day, somebody has to carry the can. So, on the, you know, while I, uh, I, I might make some intellectual points on the Sanchez injury, the bigger point is, seems to me to be very fair. Arson isn't very good at injuries and injury management of a squad over a season. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the facts seem to dictate that conclusion, right? Yep. I mean, there's a 5% chance it is genuinely dumb luck, and there's a 95% chance it isn't because of the regularity with which it happens. And if it isn't, the buck stops with him at some level. Yep. Um, you see, I would say this. You sit down in the summer and you go, let's look at our squad. And let's say they have to play 60 games. Is that about right? Yep. Okay. 56 or something, depending yeah. on how well you've done. Yep. All right, fine. F- 55 games. And I'd say, how many can Jack Wilshire give you? I trust him to give me f- 15 games. Okay. And how many can Oxley Chamberlain give you? I trust him to give me 15 games. How many can Ramsey give you? Trust him to give me 30 games. And how many can Arteta give you? I trust him to give me 10 to 15. And how many can, and you go through Gibbs, I trust him to give me 20 games. How many can I play Alexis in reasonably? I think I can play Alexis in 45 games. I think I can play Ozil in 45 games. I trust, you know, you can go through and you can start to do the math and you can see, well, ho shit. Between Wilshire and Rosicki and Arteta and Oxley Chamberlain and Theo Walcott and Kieran Gibbs, I only have. 55 games total among all those players that I trust them to use. That's and, not enough. And the I argument that many, we had, you know, we, we, we had a run of injuries at right forward where, you know, we were seven deep potentially lining right. up. Uh, you know, you got to go to your point, which is yes, but every one of those seven is injury prone. Now, I don't yeah. know. Uh, you know, I haven't, if you I haven't find worked yourself out in a situation, and, Paul, yeah, go ahead. If you find yourself in a situation where you need Jack Wilshire in an injury crisis, or you need um, you know, Theo Walcott in an injury crisis, or you need Mikel Arteta, you've inherently planned poorly because you knew when you sat down in the summer there's a good chance that if injuries pop up, it'll be during that period I don't have Jack Wilshire, or I don't have Thomas Rosicki, or I don't have Theo Walcott. I think, you know, it sounds very, I guess, uh, draconian or, or aggressive to say, but... You just can't have a squad, and, and it was even worse last season when we still considered Abu Dhabi an option. Like, you can't have a squad where Rosicki and Wilshire and Arteta and Ox and Theo and Gibbs 
are critical parts of the squad expected to be the backups in case something happens to other players. And you could even potentially throw Ramsey in there because since the ankle injury, you know, muscular problems have kind of cropped up with him from time to time. Is this just a case of the squad needs to be recomposed with players in the, in critical squad positions who you know you'll be able to call on when the time comes? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I remember in my early days blogging, I did a blog on proving statistically that injuries are a bit random. And like mm. if you did a, a distribution of injuries... You would right. get them grouped uh, uh, into stacks, and that's just the way things are. But but it really it's just not the case when you look at it. Um, and Arson himself talks about injury prone players. He accepts that concept. Uh, you, you time and time again he talks about in defending a player or in talking about a situation about how somebody's basically injury prone or how somebody isn't. And so it's it's not like he can uh, – uh, and at the end of the day, if Arson – we all had our common sense during the summer, and we all said, all right, he's going for co- cohesion uh, and believes that the squad can take him there and that he can manage the injuries despite what we've seen. I went with the, I hope he's right, maybe he knows something we don't, but if he doesn't, if we end up – getting into a hole with injuries, it's all on him. Unless he knows something we don't, and after all, he has all sorts of facts and science. If he wants to be a contrarian against, you know, the common man, the fan, and everybody in football who ever talks about these things, well, he better get it right. Otherwise, he should have gone with an insurance policy and, as you said, got one midfielder who was regarded as being bulletproof. I mean, I don't actually remember Schneider. No one is. Yeah, yeah, no one is. But but, but but let me say this, right? Just real quick. Like, for example, everybody say, oh, well, you can't have, you know, stars on the bench and you can't have world-class players just sure sitting. First of all, sure you can. But but second of all, even putting that aside, and teams do it, and that's ridiculous. Man United um, did it. They bought, He may not be quite uh, world-class, but they bought Schneiderlin. And yeah, and he work. sits on the bench, and he's and fighting he's for a spot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're a big enough club and you go down to the smaller clubs, a lot of these guys are willing to take triple wages and a, a chance to fight for a spot. You know, they are. They just are. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want to get a, a Wanyama, and I'm not saying he's the solution, that guy will take sitting on the bench for 85 grand a week, you know, and fight for his with, spot. But Yeah, with the belief he can get a spot if he's yeah, worth the salt. So, yeah. so let me just make, make this point, though, real quick. Let's say you can't have world-class players in every position and then world-class players back them up. Fine. You say, well, all right, we have Santi Cazorla, and we expect Cazorla to play a lot of games because he's usually very fit. Well, who's behind Santi Cazorla? You say, well, no problem. We have Jack Wilshire. That is a problem because that's not a player. If Santi Cazorla does his cruciate ligament, you can't say, well, we'll just plug in Jack Wilshire because that's not an acceptable solution because you can't expect to have Jack Wilshire. So now suddenly you have to have a third option who can go into that role. It's the same thing with Coughlin. You say, well, we have Arteta and Flamini. Between Arteta and Flamini, You'd be lucky to get 20 games out of those guys. So, again, it's not acceptable to say that's your backup solution. Um, Olivier Giroud is, you know, one thing I'll give him credit for, other than when he broke, you know, broke a bone, he's an incredibly durable player, which is wonderful to have as a squad player. But the guy you're trying to have... <laughs> he's the guy we want to get injured. <laughs> <laughs> right? He's the guy we throw in front of the bus. It's a um, joke, people. It's a joke. It's a joke. But, 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 I mean, when you have Theo Walcott, 
again, yeah. a guy that you say probably 15, 20 games is the most I can really count on him for, you're suddenly down to replacement level. And I think at every area of this squad where people say, oh, well, we went into the season with, look at the guys who couldn't even potentially get on the field. Jack Wilshire, Oxlade Chamberlain, um, Mikel Arteta, Kieran Gibbs. Well, all of these guys are guys that play 10, 12, 15 games a season if they're lucky. Um, yeah. And, and, and it, that's it, the problem. And, and now we need them, and shock th- horror, they're not available. Well, plus, I mean, there is a bit of a contradiction with Arson's philosophy, given that he's all about cohesion. And uh, having yeah, players a whole, that aren't available can't, can't a, form a, a whole bunch system. of hot swappable parts that you're swapping in for each other because this one's, in, oh, shit, uh, he's injured. All right, Flamity, oh, no, he's injured. Let's, uh, Arteta, oh, no, he's, you know. That is not cohesion. So he's, he, you know, at the end of the day, the book will stop with Arson. I don't know what that really means. I don't see us running him out of town at the end of the season. But, you know, maybe he'll pull a rabbit out of his, a hat with his philosophy and the Jeff will come along or, you know, and blah, blah, blah. But it, it's on him. I don't know what he's going to do at this stage. But if it were well, me and I were running the team, I would think I was digging a mighty big hole for myself. But... Well, let's talk about what he does because, all right, so w- we didn't find the f- the final breakthrough to get a win. You know, it's more points dropped in a key spot, and now we find ourselves kind of in a, a log jam of teams that, you know, might consider themselves a title chaser. I mean, United, Arsenal, City. Um, you know, I know people are talking up Spurs, but ultimately that'll prove ridiculous. Um, and Leicester, we assume, will, will fall away. We now have to get through a really tricky period. Olympiacos is out there you know, needing a two-goal win. We've got Sunderland coming up, which isn't so bad, but there's a match against City coming up as well. No Santi, no Koscielny, no Alexis, probably no Walcott. Um, Let's assume for the moment, no Walcott. How do you want to set up the team? Let's just say for Sunderland. What's what's your idea of the right solution? Oh, Jesus. Um don't really know. I mean, you, I think you're going to have to play... Who have we got? You're going to have to play Flamini and Ramsey in midfield, maybe. And you got the Ox back, and you got Campbell, and you got Giroud. It's not very exciting. Who else have we got? N- no one. Okay. <laughs> so your um, choice is, do you keep... You know, you could move Ramsey to the right wing and play Ox in midfield so that he's closer to passing it back to our defense to be intercepted. I guess you could do that. But outside of that, that's you're kind of there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the challenge now is what I look at is you're going to have Ramsey, probably Ramsey, Flamini, Ozil midfield. Um, and then they're going to look up and ahead of them, they're going to see Ox, Campbell, and Giroud. Um, it's hard to see us having a lot of possession with yeah. that kind of a lineup. And... So maybe you're going to play more on the counter. Maybe you're going to play, I don't know, more route one to Giroud and and try to get Oxlade, Chamberlain, and Campbell to run in behind him. Yeah. Um, but against Sunderland, where we know they're going to defend deep and go for a lot of set pieces and fouls and long balls and all that, it's hard to know how we break them down with so little. So, so little, I would say. So so few really technically adept players on the pitch. I think, you know, Campbell, unfortunately, is you know is just not at the level that we need. Giroud right now is not able to impose himself in open play, as we discussed. Oxlade-Chamberlain, 
has been poor most of this season, and while he is a talented player, he's just coming back from an injury layoff. I You're actually thought ra- it was pretty good yep. yesterday, but uh, I agree with your overall point. It's y- yeah, I mean, it's expecting— for half a game, yeah. Yeah, it's expecting a lot. I mean, I also think, you know, unfortunately, we saw probably Bellerin's worst game in a while the mm. other day against he's Norwich. He's had a few. I think yeah, he's, well, he's definitely dropped off. It's He's a younger player. You can't yeah. expect him to stay at an incredibly high level every single game through his development, especially because he's going to get fatigued as well. Um, Debussy must be, be wondering how close he's getting to getting a shot because so, Bellerin so defensively has been yeah. a little suspect. He's little losing ropey. his concentration. But we kind of need him going forward because, again, the options up front are, well, are we poor. May there not. was the one play he made. Because the one thing you have with Campbell and Ox is players. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yes, you can use Bellerin. But it, it, the the bigger susceptibility at the moment is letting in goals. And then awful lot of them seem to to uh, have something to do with our that area between Purr and Bellerin. Um, yeah. I mean, not yesterday, but there was a cross that went in yesterday, that the one that they skied over from close range, and there were a couple of other opportunities where, I don't know, um, he, he's he's lost a little bit of his focus and kind of uh, savvy at right back at the moment. And I could see, I, I could imagine Debushi going into the manager's office every Monday at the moment saying, Boss, you know, what are you waiting for? How bad does he have to be for me to get my shot? So. I mean, th- this is the thing, though, right? I mean, and this is why it all winds up coming back to the summer and not buying any outfield players. Because I look at, you know, Giroud, Campbell, Oxlade, Chamberlain, Ramsey, Flamini, Ozil. And if it was Ramsey, Schneiderlin, Ozil, Giroud, Oxlade, Chamberlain, guy we bought who we think is good then suddenly you like those chances a little better yeah, because Jackson we don't think Martinez. Ca- all right well you know I mean wh- whoever it is I you know yeah. I'm, I'm not a scout I don't pretend to know who that guy yep. you know should be but you know suddenly you, you like those chances and this this is what it boils down to and again as we've already discussed you could say well but how would he know that you know uh uh Theo wouldn't be available, and Wilshire wouldn't be available, and Arteta wouldn't be available. And my argument is he should have known because they that's who they are. Yeah. Um, uh, I also think one – you talk about two, buying two players, and I certainly get that. But one player buys you some license to rest a player or two. Oh, he so, definitely doesn't play Alexis against Norwich if the option isn't Joel Campbell. If yeah. the option is someone experienced and talented and threatening who's shown a little something this season, he definitely doesn't play Alexis in Norwich. That's my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, and maybe I'm wrong. What, you know, what the hell do well, you I know? Ju- but I just think like one extra player over the last couple of games would allow that you had confidence with, like a Schneiderlin, might allow you to have arrested a Sanchez with a tweak or might have allowed you to rest – uh, you know, if, if Santi was running into a little trouble as opposed to uh, uh, the knock he got yesterday, whereas you've got to play every player right now. So although you could make a case for needing a, a wide forward and a midfielder, either one of those two, especially a midfielder, gives you options because you can play, you know, y- you can yeah. rest also the wide player that you didn't buy. So... 
you know, you can rest your Sanchez because you have more competence in the team, maybe tweak your formation a little bit. Whereas we had, in fairness to the manager, I understand why he came close to deciding he had no options yesterday because he kind of had no options. No, I, and, and you know, then you, the, the finger of blame points back at ourselves for not having those options. I think it, the reason I worry about the goal scoring is because I think by and large, and, and maybe the, I have no basis for this, I think our defending is going to be okay. We have a phenomenal goalkeeper. I think between Koscielny, Gabriel, and, and Murta Sacker, our center backs aren't so bad. I know Per has been not in the best form, but I, I still have some faith in him. Bellerin... I still think it's fantastic, even if his level isn't right where it was. And Nacho's been arguably the best left back in the league. Um, You know, I think that's a good back five. And we don't, you know, we don't concede tons of chances to teams. Um, I think ultimately our defending can be okay. I I just wonder, you know, on a a day where, you know, you concede a fluky goal or, or you've held them out, do we have the difference makers? And that's why I, I think a forward would make such a difference because, you look at Theo Walcott, not even really a proven striker, and the difference he made in our side and the way we dismantled Manchester United, for example, and just a little pace and dynamism injected into that center forward position, and we're a totally different uh, proposition for, for a team to defend because Alexis pops up everywhere and moves around, and as long as they have to look over their shoulder and worry about the space in behind them, it creates a lot of space for Ozil to operate in, for Alexis to operate in, for even Ramsey to drift in and operate in, and then that's not happening right now. I would love to see him change the system even. You know, reshuffle the deck. Try Joel Campbell up front. You know, do do something different to to try to create a more dynamic environment and more runs for Ozil to feed into, more runs for the, the, the opposition back four to have to take into consideration um, you know, if you offered me a Joel Campbell, Aaron Ramsey, Ozil, uh, pardon me, Oxley Chamberlain front three, you know, that's something that, that would interest me. I guess the question then becomes, you don't even have the bodies left to make a midfield. So it really is a skeleton crew. I mean, as far as the Olympiacos game, this is such a nightmare because any optimism we might have had, you really wonder how we're going to get two goals, let alone a two-goal win away at a place where we haven't we haven't won. So Agreed. it it looks pretty bleak bleak right now. And and so my question to you, Paul, is given the injury situation, how realistic is a title challenge right now if you expect that we're probably without Alexis for a month, we're probably without Cochlin for three months, we're probably without Theo for another couple weeks. We're probably without Wilshire and Welbeck till sometime into January. I mean, a lot of games between now and January when we can make a, a difference. Can you see us staying in touching distance during this period? I can. It's just it seems like that kind of a season so far. Uh, nobody seems to have the cones to pull away. Uh, maybe Manchester City have learned their lesson now. Um, I mean, we're, we're going to need to see some fight from the team because they're going to have to hold in there and get some results through a tough period. I think we can stay close enough that if... I think it still, sadly, all comes down to fitness, uh, which is not a good sign. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, if it all comes down to fitness, what could possibly go wrong? Who for but, you... But who, who for just you to finish my point, yeah, yeah. if we get our players back and they mostly stay fit, I think we'll be right in there to the final day. But... If 
I, I guess there's not much basis for optimism that our injury problems will abate at this point. In the redacted argument I had with James after the Manchester United victory about squad depth, one of the key points that I made that we all kind of agreed with is if we're going to win the title, the 11 that started against United has to put a solid run together during this season where they play every game. Um, and basically since that game, that hasn't happened. Um, and it it shows. The, the drop-off in quality between our first options and our second available options is a lot bigger than people gave it credit for. And some of that is down to injuries, but as we touched on, they're injuries that should have been certainly foreseen. Um, real quick to close up, in the upcoming period with the injuries we have, who's the player for you who needs to step up and be a difference maker most of all? Ramsey. Yeah, I was just going to say that. He's really the guy who has it in him to make a big difference, doesn't he? Yeah. To find three or four goals over the next month that really lift us to points we wouldn't have won otherwise. I mean, you could probably also say Giroud, that if he could find some form um, and impose himself more. But I, you know, I just don't know that he has it in him to do much more than what we're seeing. But Ramsey, we know, can take his game to another level. He's probably going to get a shot in the middle of the park where he likes to be. And... He's shown when he plays in central midfield, he does have a nice little partnership with Giroud running in, overlapping with Giroud. I mean, is is he the guy who can potentially fill, fill the gap in, in quality and, and goal-scoring threat between now and, you know, January when hopefully players are back? It's such a lot to ask from him, really. Uh, I think he's the guy because after that, everybody else takes a step back and says, oh, points at him. Um, so I think he's the one who can who can significantly move us forward from where we were on Sunday. You know, just after him is Oxlade Chamberlain. If he can not be a gaff machine, uh, develop some confidence, having a run in the game. I mean, there's not much this year that makes me think that's about to happen. No, not that I'm down on him. It's just that's kind of the, the pattern has been. Since the Community Shield, he hasn't really sparkled. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he has the ability, and he really ought to be the player. I mean, he's he's at a good age now where he, he could, should really be lighting up the headlines in the newspapers with his performances. Um, so it could be. It should be. Maybe you never know what sets somebody's, somebody off. One good game. Maybe the fact that, again, we talked about this before, but maybe he sees a run of games ahead of him. Who knows? Uh, you know, maybe if Ramsey and, and the Ox really come up a big notch or two, um, it'll be enough to keep us well in the hunt. But again, I don't know that that gives us the goals we need. It's uh, it's so tough because it's a season that you feel that the title is right there. And yeah. you look at our first 11 and you say it's a good enough team to win the title this season. Yeah. And then you, you start naming the players that are going to go out against Sunderland and it's... Giroud, Campbell, Ox, Ramsey, Flamini, Ozil. You know, it's hard to look at that and say, yeah, that's a title-winning side. So yeah. uh, I, I just our, think... I think our second 11 is pretty darn good, but not as our first well, we're 11. we're past second 11. <laughs> well, 
Yeah, maybe. You if, know what I mean? I mean, yeah. second 11 might include Arteta and and Jack Wilshire and Danny Welbeck, and we're past that. Look, let's and, leave it and there. We're, and we're playing them all together, I think, was really where I was going with that. It's one thing to ask a Flamini to step into the an otherwise 10 players, you know what I mean? But yeah. when four of them or five of them, you know, you Gabriel Campbell, Ox just back, Ramsey just back, you know, holes are going to start showing at that point. So, anyway. Yeah. Well, we're going to need Gabriel to show a lot more than he did the other day, but we know he has it in him. Um, look, let's leave it there. It, it wasn't a great day in Norwich. I, it wasn't a great day from a, a score and point standpoint, but really obviously not great from an injury standpoint. And now we'll really get to see. There are players that people rate, like Oxley Chamberlain and Joe Campbell and, and Olivier Giroud, and they're going to have to step up and become you know, heroes in this period. Um, it's going to be the busiest time of the entire season, and we're going to go through it with the fewest of our crucial, indispensable players. Um, Paul, I appreciate you putting up with me just kind of whining and yeah. randomly oh, discussing all our headaches. Yeah, follow Paul on Twitter, at Posin in My Pants. Block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We'll come back and talk to you after the 6-0 win over Sunderland with the uh, Ox and Giroud hat tricks. Until then, hang in there. Try not to get injured yourself, and we will talk to you at the weekend. Cheers. Cheers.